is Bloomberg Surveillance. We're in trouble with these super low rates. We are causing financial instability. We're causing risk-taking. The world has a golden opportunity at the moment to achieve what I call a deflationary rebalancing. Are we in a profit recession? Yes. And remember, not all profit recessions precede actual recessions. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, Michael McKee and Tom Keene. We are in New York. We welcome all of you worldwide, uh, all of you worldwide, and, of course, across this uh, great nation. Uh, Bloomberg 99.1 FM. In Washington, good morning. Bloomberg 1200 Boston, Bloomberg 1130. In a wonderful, really spring-like, a lot of rain yesterday, but a gorgeous New York today. And Imagine how the flowers are going to be with all the rain we're having. Yeah, it was a drenching, not not a drenching like flooding and all that, but it was it was a lot of rain. Uh, Bloomberg 960, uh, the Bay Area, good morning, out in San Francisco, where I hear the weather has been spectacular. Uh, recently. This morning, Bloomberg Surveillance, as always, in the 8 o'clock hour, brought to you by Cone Resnick, Accounting Tax Advisory. Trust Cone Resnick for the strategy, the insight your business needs to move forward. Find out what Cone Resnick thinks. Sign up for insights at coneresnick.com. C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K. Coneresnick.com. We have spoken to him far too much recently, and somehow, Mike, to June, he's going to be like our best friend. He is head of Brexit rate strategy at UBS. I'm kidding. Ooh. John Wraith is head of UK rate strategy at UBS, which means he is, as much as anybody I know, knee-deep in thinking about where Brexit goes. John Wraith, once again, good morning. Um, will will Brexit morning. be the only topic at the G20 meeting? I mean, is it the backstory at the G20 meeting nobody wants to talk about? Um, I'm sure it'll it'll come up. I think for some of the uh, countries there, it'll be a major preoccupation. For others, um, perhaps a little less so. Uh, we've heard some comments today from, um, uh, from, from Bullard, for example, a Fed official saying that he doesn't think Brexit, even if it does happen, will have a major impact on the outlook for the U.S., but clearly closer to Europe and, and uh, the, the Eurozone and obviously in the U.K. itself, it's, uh, it's a very major event. Is, uh, have you been able to, has anybody been able to quantify the impact uh, on, a, say, GDP basis and national in- accounts basis, uh, or is it too complicated? Yeah, I mean, the, the issue we have really, of course, is there's no precedent for this. I think, um, you know, I should stress our view is that ultimately the UK will stay in the EU and any dip in activity that we see in the, the next few months running up to the vote on the, the sort of uncertainty and nervousness will probably bounce back in the second half of the year. But uh, if the UK were to vote to leave, then there's a whole range of scenarios as to how the situation would unfold. And, and we've sort of categorized them as a softer Brexit where there's a sort of fairly friendly and rapid re-establishment of trading mm. um, agreements and so on, um, and, and all the way to a sort of hard Brexit where some tough negotiating and the establishment of trade barriers right. means that the hit to GDP will be larger. How did sterling rebound yesterday? When you talk to the experts at UBS about how a bid comes in, what's the why that the bid came in? Was it just the street said enough and they're looking for a quick scalp? Or is there an underlying story to that, what we saw yesterday, 138 up to 139.84? 
Well, I mean, uh, you, I suppose you have to see it in the broader context. We were up at sort of 154 not very long ago. So yeah. the, the decline is dramatic and there will be temporary corrections. And that said, you know, at the moment, the, the, which is somewhat ironic in this debate, the economic data in the UK continues to print pretty favorably. So there are some sort of fundamental reasons for temporary periods of sterling strength, but in our view... Right sure to be overwhelmed by this background uh, risk all the way through right. to June. Generates review for American audience the flows of capital and current account within the United Kingdom. I think we've got a real idea of the flip in current account balances in Japan. Tell me about the, the, the current account surplus deficit flows in the United Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, uh, you've hit on something important in this debate. There's a, a large, persistent current account deficit uh, in the UK, exacerbated over recent years by the fact that the UK economy has been growing so much faster than uh, most of those in the Eurozone. Um, and often when you see a, a slide in a currency on the scale we've seen recently in sterling, attention turns to the current account situation. And when there is a large deficit, it exacerbates the risks of a, of a sort of more um, out-of-control decline in the currency because of the yeah. fact that uh, external investors are having to, to fund the, uh, the current account. The old solution, Michael, was to send Aubrey and Matterin, Aubrey looks like Russell yeah. Kroll, send them down to take over Barbados again. <laughs> that used to be the solution. Uh, it, the, the, the pound is so widely used in such a deep currency. Is are we? Is there a chance we see a, a really big disorderly decline? There is a chance. Um, I think you know we would compare this really to the to the financial crisis when, in the year running up to it, as the financial system deteriorated, we saw sterling weaken steadily, as I would argue it has been recently, and then when. Things went really wrong in, in late 2008. It was sterling that suffered the most because of the UK's exposure to the financial sector being that much larger than anyone else's. Um, I think we're in the same situation again, this sort of gradual weakening of sterling slightly to continue. And if on the, the 24th of June the UK has taken the decision to leave the EU, then you could see a much more significant fall uh, in the following months, although, as I said before, that's not our, our central view. We still think the U.K. will be a member of the EU beyond the referendum. Well, at this point, uh, the currency reflecting uncertainty, is it uh, ex-Brexit uh, vote, uh, is it fairly valued, or, or are we seeing where it, you know, moves that should be made given the current account? Um, well, I think, you know, that was all factored in before as far as currency markets were, were concerned. I think the only new information in the last few months that's coincided with this fall in sterling is, is the referendum suddenly coming into focus, the date being fixed, um, it becoming imminent in, in terms of, you know, markets, um, attention span, um, and having, and having a big inf impact. And as I said before, you know, the, the data in the UK just doesn't merit this. I mean, if you look just as one example at the, um, the, the PMI indices, they're stronger in the UK than, than any of the other major global economies. Um, unemployment's low, retail sales are yeah, strong. But, but, you know, there's no reason okay. for sterling to be undermined like well, this. Well said, but does that imply an expectation of a slowing United Kingdom real GDP? Yeah, possibly. Um, but when you look at the extent of that implied slowing compared to um, where we are uh, in other economies already and, and in the context of the scale of the fall in sterling, I think it goes way beyond what, what most forecasts are. I mean, I, you know, ours is that the recovery continues at a similar pace to the past few years and, and 
you know, I think that's pretty much the consensus unless uh, we do get a vote to leave the EU, at which point I'm sure there would be a lot of downward revisions to GDP and, and every chance well, that the recovery stalls, at least for the balance of, of this year. Okay, but if we get, you know, the, the, clearly the elite outcome, which is no Brexit and you know, everything is status yeah. quo, do you have a level that sterling rebounds to? Well, I mean, over the over the, uh, the sort of coming months after that, it will take a while, and it will depend on any sort of significant dent to activity in the interim. But you know, we still see a possibility of um, uh, of sterling ending this year um, significantly stronger than its current level. But as I say, it will depend on activity indicators beyond the referendum, which will tell us how much damage has been done and, and how persistent or temporary it may turn out to be. Well, let me ask about that. Uh, the uh, the OECD, among others, have been uh, talking, and apparently a, a new note out from uh, your competitors at Citigroup, uh, been talking about uh, much, much slower growth around the world. How does that affect uh, the U.K., um, you know, again, ex-Brexit? Yeah, I mean, it, clearly, it, it, if it is a global slowing, it will it will affect all to a degree. I mean, I think, you know, as recent years have shown us, the UK has proved quite resilient um, to the, the, the slower growth and, and the woes of the Eurozone in particular. And I think a large part of the reason for that is it has been long a um, service-based economy which is more able to perform domestically and more insulated from global slowdowns in terms of a drop in demand for manufactured goods and so on than certain other economies are. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, re- the recovery is somewhat mature, and I'm sure that if growth started to slow, it, it, it might see a, you know, slowing or even a, an end to the decline in the unemployment rate. But um, if there is a sort of genuine slowing of global right. demand, I don't think the U.K. is, is at most risk from that by any means. Uh, John Ray's with us. We'll continue this discussion. Uh, he is with UBS. So Michael McKee, the Bank of England Museum, with an important tweet today. In 1723, Sir Christopher Wren died. Oh, I've been doing a cycle of his it. churches in, in, when I'm in London. Oh, yeah? It's really something. Most of them were destroyed in World War II, and with a lot of courage, they were rebuilt. Uh, it was very, very uh, uh, cool. Uh, Mr. Murdoch's father was instrumental in helping rebuild Brides and Fleet Street. And it's really, I really urge people to go see Christopher Wren's magic. Outside of our new headquarters in London is his jewel right next to Mansion House. Mm-hmm. Sir Christopher Wren, uh, on this day, uh, died in 1723. Future's exactly flat. Let's bring in John Tucker now with the latest news from around the world. John? And Houston's going to be the site of tonight's Republican presidential debate with uh, Donald Trump rivals getting one more chance to try and derail the GOP frontrunner. Uh, state of emergency in Virginia, that's where four people were killed after tornadoes damaged homes left thousands without power across the state. It's official. The natural gas flowing out of America's shale formations is now available to the world the liquefied natural gas tanker Asia Vision, it left the Chenier Energy Sabine Pass export terminal in Louisiana yesterday with the first cargo of U.S. shale gas, the tanker bound for Brazil. And score one for humans, uh, Mercedes-Benz says with a growing array of options on its cars, robots can't keep up. They're relying more and more on human workers on the assembly line reclaiming space uh, there to put in those options. Interesting. I am so glad you... Did the natural gas thing? Yeah. Look where, Mike, look at nat gas. 1.735.
Look at the weather. Per gazillion British thermal units. We'll have to talk Chenier with David Wilson. We'll do that in the next hour. Bloomberg Surveillance. This news update was brought to you by the all-new BMW of Springfield. Find amazing pricing on every certified pre-owned BMW. Visit BMWofSpringfieldNJ.com. Financing and leasing available. BMW Financial Services. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are little change this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. That's right. U.S. futures are now trading little changed as crude futures fade from their highs. Dow futures higher by eight points. S&Ps are unchanged. And Nasdaq futures are lower by two. Shanghai plunged 6.4% overnight as money market rates surged. While European markets are trading higher, led by 2% gains in France, UK, Italy, and Spain. On the U.S. economic front at 8.15, Fed's Lockhart speaks in Atlanta. At 8.30, initial jobless claims and durable goods orders. At 10.30, natural gas storage change. And at 11 o'clock, Kansas City Fed. After the Bellis Night, Salesforce boosted year views, Transocean beat, and Restoration Hardware Q4 preliminary adjusted EPS missed estimates. Shares are down 20% pre-market. Regarding earnings this morning, Domino's Pizza and Visteon beat, Kohl's EPS beat, revenues were in line, and Best Buy Q4 EPS beat, although comp sales missed estimates. Finally, some early Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Advisory Board raised to buy for sold over at Deutsche Bank. Cooper Tire raised to neutral versus sell at Goldman Sachs. Charter raised to overweight at J.P. Morgan. And finally, Restoration Hardware cuts a sector weight at KeyBank and cuts to neutral over at Robert Baird. Live from the First of Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K, Go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning, as always, brought to you by InvestGo. Factor-based strategies can help investors focus on a high-quality, low-volatility, and more. Learn more at Invesco.com slash High conviction, giving us perspective on the United Kingdom economy. All of the uproar over Brexit is John Wraith of UBS. John, if you were to have a one-on-one with the Chancellor of the Exchequer or the Prime Minister or other elites of England trying to keep the nation within Europe, what do you think you would hear? What's the number one sales pitch from elites to do no harm? Um, well, I mean, you know, the, the, the argument has raged in uh, one sense or another for many years in the UK about the relationships with the EU. I mean, I think, you know, the, the British people generally want convincing that staying in is going to be better economically um, in the medium and long term. And that's something which um, is an argument that not hasn't always been, been clear. And obviously, as we've been talking about already today, over recent years at least, um, the UK has been growing much more dynamically and rapidly than um, the rest of the EU and certainly the Eurozone. So that, that argument is a difficult one to make, which I think explains why opinion polls have been, have been pointing to such a close outcome. One of those uh, things like t- trying to convince people trade is a good idea because it's easy to find a picture of a guy who's out of work and much harder mm. to the, the dispersion of, of benefits. 
Yeah, and um, you know, again, there's, as with everything to do with this referendum, there's two sides to, to every argument, and there are a lot of uh, voters in the UK who feel threatened by um, the open access to the UK labour markets for other EU citizens, but, but equally there are some who, who see the, the, the sort of efficient um, labour that they bring with them and the, the wider economic benefits that uh, arguably are delivered. So, you know, these things will keep raging, and that's one reason why we and, and most people think that the debate is going to remain up in the air until the day of the vote itself, which will, will probably continue to undermine sterling, among other things, um, over the coming months. Uh, we always talk about uh, a currency being weak or strong as if uh, strong mm. was good and weak was bad. Uh, what's going to be the impact on GDP in the U.K. from a weaker uh, sterling? How long is the J-curve effect? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's one of the ironies in this is that as long as the the fall in the pound is reasonably stable and, and orderly, it's actually got a lot of benefits to bring to the UK. We're um, in a situation where global demand, um, as we discussed before, is potentially slowing, and therefore, uh, you know, for, for, for uh, trading markets, having a more competitive currency might help tap into that lesser overall demand. Um, the UK also, in common with a lot of other countries, has um, inflation well below the central bank's target, and, and, a, and a weaker currency should raise imported inflation. So th there are certainly some benefits to um, the lower level of sterling, but it does smack of a, a loss of investor confidence and, and some overseas investors taking um, or slowing their investments into the UK because they're worried about the outcome. So you know, as long as it doesn't become a, a protracted and rapid fall, starting to call into account uh, into question the current account situation then you know there's certainly it's certainly not all bad to see sterling weaker for sure uh, is this um, going to change the calculation for the bank of england at all well, they're very careful at the moment not to sound too opinionated one way or the other. They obviously can't comment on such political events as a, as a referendum other than to say yeah. they're aware of it. And it, they did say that they think it's one of the reasons behind the weakness of sterling. Yeah. But um, they will wait for the outcome and, and they will react accordingly. And if, as in our view, the UK stays in the EU, recovery continues, lost momentum returns, then uh, we think they'll very quickly tell the market that it's got right. too dovish and too concerned about the outlook. Fifteen seconds. What's your call in euro when you're out, just to dovetail that with sterling? Um, well, we're more upbeat on the outlook for the for the eurozone than uh, than the consensus. We think growth there is going to be a bit quicker. Um, as far as the sort of euro sterling exchange rate is concerned, we we see it you know potentially ending this year not far from current levels, um, but yeah. being fairly volatile in the interim. John Reith, exceptionally valuable. Thank you so much. What a primer on all that's going on in the United Kingdom. And I need to give a shout out to Francine at Lacroix, who is way out front in this, Michael. She told me in Davos, before Davos time, it's going to be a huge deal. You Americans don't get it. She was totally right. It's Bye. become a big deal. Not sure Americans didn't get it. Well, the people I didn't get it. Okay, excuse me. So I didn't get it. We don't want to insult the listeners. But then I didn't get Red me. Sox. I mean, it's almost a time of year where I have to try to gauge, am I done with the Red Sox in late April or early May? I'd give them till May. They maybe have fixed, yeah. gotten the team better. Uh, 78.948, that's the uh, pound-euro cross yeah. at the moment. Euro sterling. Uh, we'll, we'll quote that some more. I'm, I've been remiss not to quote that. What I can quote, flat euros, yields are in fractionally 173. I'm going to call it a quiet tape 
Oil churns near 32 on American oil. Brent crude 34.14 right now, down 27 uh, <coughs> cents. Michael mentions euro sterling, uh, 0.7894 pence. That's like Michael Pence, a Nobel laureate. The yen, 112.53. Stay with us. We're pun-friendly on Thursday. Bloomberg Surveillance. Coming up, though, with all due respect, highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverChiState.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover Above and Beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Welcome back. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene, Economic Indicators, and we've got a lot this morning brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Here's Vinny Del Judice at the First Word Desk. Michael, perhaps a bit of a respite for manufacturing. Commerce Department telling us durable goods orders up 4.9% in January, the most in almost a year topping forecast. The prior month's decline not as sharp as previously reported, excluding transportation up 1.8%, a measure of business investment up 3.9%. We also have figures on initial jobless claims up by 10,000 to 272,000 last week, roughly in line with forecasts. Again, durable goods orders up by the most in Almost a year, jobless claims creeping a bit higher. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vidit Del Judice. Let's go back to New York. This is really interesting, Tom. Yeah. I'm looking at the durable goods breakdown, and there were no categories yeah. that declined during yeah. the month. Yeah, let me explain what I do on this. I'm not going to put the chart out because people will drive off the road. It's too complex. I take Michael, and this is off of the good work of Jan Hatzius at Goldman Sachs, inventories, durable goods, whatever. I take a three-month, a six-month, a 12-month moving average. So I smooth it all out, and then I look at the slope, the derivative of those three moving averages. All you need to know is all three moving averages are moving in an up direction. That's the massive headline. I'm eyeballing here, Michael, when the last time that occurred, I'm back to May of 2014, and then somewhere in the vicinity of November of 2013. It is rare and distinctive. Nariman Barovish is chief economist at the uh, consulting firm IHS, and he is joining us now to talk about rare and distinctive movements in the U.S. economy. Uh, Nariman, what are we to make of this? Is this uh, a turning point in the economy? Are we out of the slow patch? I'm not saying we're going to go gangbusters, but uh, are, are we looking in the rearview mirror at the fourth quarter? No, I, I think Tom's right in, in, in looking at these longer-term trends. Uh, and and I think one way to look at what's happening in manufacturing and especially uh, durable goods and you know, capital spending in a more general sense, is that they've been hit by three things. Um, the first is an inventory cycle. Uh, that's going to end this year, and it's already ended, you could argue, and I think that's what some of these numbers today suggest. 
The second is a huge plunge in uh, energy sector capital spending. Also, uh, less of a drag now on um, on growth because uh, oil prices have leveled off and that recount is beginning to sort of bottom out uh, in, in terms of uh, drilling and in terms of uh, investment in, in the energy sector. Uh, the, the third drag uh, is the dollar. Now, that's going to stay with us for a while. But, but to Tom's point and to your point, Mike, is that uh, the two, two of the negatives are pretty much behind us. And so I'm not surprised to see these trends beginning to look much more positive now than they were before. So to answer your question, growth this year, we think maybe 2.5%, moving up to maybe you know, closer to 3% by next year. Well, that's not terrible. It is not. It's running faster than, uh, well, what is your view of potential? Well, it's, it's, you know, we can go back and forth on this a little bit. Potential is probably just around two and a half, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, so we're close to, to potential right now. We'll probably go above that for a year, maybe even two. So which means the unemployment rate is probably going to drift down towards four and a half uh, over the next year or two slowly, but, but nevertheless down towards four and a half. Is there a, a connection between the uh, durable goods numbers and hiring in manufacturing? Um, I, clearly there is. I mean, obviously, demand tends to lead employment. Employment, as we all know, is a lagging indicator. So as this turns around, we'll start to see better numbers out of manufacturing. As you know, almost all of the growth in employment has been in the service sectors. Um, manufacturing has been a bit of a problem uh, until recently, actually. The last number was, was reasonably upbeat. But I think we'll start to see some better numbers in manufacturing. Nairman, somebody asked me, the, the young kid here at, at, at Bloomberg said, why is this guy on? And I was bragging about the back of your research reports where you classically and uniquely set up three scenarios. You were the arbiter of gloom and optimism. Which way does IHS tilt right now? Within your three scenarios, which way is the bearish vector tilt? Well, I mean, clearly the, the highest probabilities are base case, um, uh, so that's that's around uh, 65%. Um, we're giving about a 20% chance to a recession, but only 15 to an upside. That's a slight tilt towards the negative. I think mostly because of risk outside the U.S., not so much risk within the U.S. Um, but I, that may change over the year. We may we may come out with a more balanced view in terms of the risk as the year proceeds. Now, I was going to ask how often you adjust that given the frequency we get new data. Well, there are times we adjust it every month, sometimes even weekly, depending, obviously, you know, 2007, 2008. But, uh, but often it's, it's more like once a quarter. We, we really look at it carefully and say, okay, what do we really think here? So, so mostly once a quarter, but, but sometimes it's much more frequently than that. Well, I, I don't know. Many, many ways to go here. Uh, Nerman Barovich with us. We're going to continue this discussion uh, with him. Uh, and, and, Mike, I, as you mentioned there, you featured that idea of 2 or 3%. Given the gloom, the gloom flow, the global gloom flow, we forget. Yeah. We're modeling. Is it morning in America? No, it's not. Let's all get over it. But some would say, what would Michael Feroli say? Is this above potential? I mean, that's something we can talk with Nerman Barovich about uh, here Pretty good economic growth. Mr. Bullard commenting uh, this morning on the freight train to higher interest rate. The freight train to higher interest rate. I feel like a Glenn Miller song coming on. Chattanooga, <laughs> St. Louis 6, 5,000, something like that. The yield in two basis points, 1.73%. Futures up a glorious, a glorious one point. 
hour of surveillance brought to you by Mazda White Plains. Visit MazdaWhitePlains.com. Here's John Tucker with news headlines. And Michael and Tom, Republican presidential candidates, hold their final debate ahead of the March 1st slate of primaries and caucuses in more than a dozen states and territories. The debate being hosted by the University of Houston. Senate Republicans have pledged to block President Obama's nominee for the next Supreme Court justice. But now a twist. The president said to be considering Nevada Governor Brian Sandoval a Republican. A state of emergency in Virginia where four people were killed after tornadoes damaged homes also left thousands of people without power uh, across that state. And uh, I guess this is a public service. February 29th, anybody who visits a Pizza Hut restaurant shows a photo ID to prove they were born on Leap Day will receive a free one-top <sighs> personal pan pizza. I as good a reason as any to get a fake ID, I suppose. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Leap okay, John Tucker. Leap day, February 29th. All right. Well, that's Monday. We'll be here. Do we have leap day this year? We do. We do have leap day. Right. Where Next were you? Day, yeah. All this right, guys. Was, uh, whatever. I, I was looking at Sterling. We'll come back and talk about that in just a moment. First, got to bring in John Stash Hour because it's time for the Ray Katina Auto Group. Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. We get an extra day of John on Monday, too, because it's yeah. leap day. Yeah, I'll be here. Carmelo Anthony might get expressed his frustration with the Knicks' struggles, but he was the one struggling last night in Indiana. Shot 5 for 20, only 14 points. An air ball on a three-pointer at the end that would have tied the game. Carmelo outplayed by Pacers star Paul George who had 25 second-half points. Indiana won 108-105 to with Melo off his game. Kristaps Porzingis scored 22. Jose Calderon, a surprising 20 points, made all four of his three-pointers. Kyle O'Quinn off the bench for 19 in 16 minutes. But now 13 losses the last 15 games. New coach Kurt Rambis is one and four. You know, and they, they do a good job. The Pacers do a, a, a clog in the lane. They get people in the paint, so it stops a lot of penetration, and we turn the ball over. And unfortunately, some of them, you know, hurt us significantly, and they got on runs. But uh, if we if we could have taken care of the ball, despite everything else that happened in the ball game, we would have given ourselves a much better chance to win. Knicks to Orlando tomorrow. Nets are in Phoenix tonight. Another win for Golden State. One eighteen, one twelve in Miami. Steph Curry, forty two points. The Warriors are fifty. 51 and 5. Local hockey teams were all off. They're all on the road tonight. College basketball, the big game is in the Big East. Battle of teams ranked in the top five. Xavier beat number one Villanova 90 to 83. Jets coach Todd Bowles has revealed he had surgery to remove a benign mass that Bowles says was the size of a golf ball from his throat. Bowles actually had it during the season, was told he could postpone the surgery. He said he's now fine. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashauer. Uh, John, thank you so much. Michael McKee, frantic across our, our world-class studio. Looking at uh, statistics here, um, Neil Payne over at 538.com yes. points out it has been 23 years since a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup. Do you think that will change this year? Mm. Do you know how many teams, if the season ended today, how many Canadian teams would be in the playoffs? Mm. Vancouver, are they even close? Zero. Yeah. This is... Uh, we're on track for something that's only happened once before, 1969-70, where there were no Canadian teams. To our global audience, this is a source of national... Don Cherry's apoplectic about this. I mean, Toronto, some people are calling them an AHL team, and Montreal's got to be the implosion of modern history. Yeah, yeah. They start off so well. Um, More hockey talk on Bloomberg Surveillance. The Sports Report was brought to you by Ray Katina Auto Group. Everyone deserves to drive a Mercedes-Benz from Ray Katina. Make it happen at Ray Katina Motor Car in Edison. Ray Katina of Union and the new Ray Katina of Freehold. Or go to RayKatina.com. 
global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Orders for U.S. capital goods rebounding in January by the most since June 2014. Bookings for non-military equipment, excluding commercial aircraft, jumped 3.9%. That was more than forecast, and it follows a 3.7% decrease in December that was smaller than previously reported. The number of Americans filing applications for unemployment benefits rose last week from a three-month low, in part reflecting the typical swings during holiday periods. U.S. stock index futures, meanwhile, little changed after equity staged a late-day rebound yesterday as investors assess a sell-off in China overnight and a rally in European markets. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up half a point, Dow E-mini futures up four, and NASDAQ E-mini futures down one. DAX in Germany is up 1.7 percent. Ten-year Treasury up 5.30 seconds, the yield 1.72 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.4 percent or 45 cents to 31.69 a barrel. COMEX gold is down two tenths percent or two dollars seventy cents to 12.36.40 an ounce. The euro a dollar ten twenty. The yen one twelve point five two. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. It is 8:48 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Jonathan Bernstein, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Maybe things are moving perfectly for Donald Trump. He has three victories now, and he's leading in polls in many states and leading big in national polls. A contrasting view? Marco Rubio is still set up nicely. That's the case if Trump is unlikely to increase his support. If he can't, then outside of his strongest states, and Nevada, where he won big on Tuesday, was won. Trump is only barely competitive in a three-candidate race and couldn't win a two-man showdown. Trump may not have a ceiling, but he may already have won all the voters who were likely to back him. Adding new support may prove increasingly difficult. Of course, in a three-candidate race, Trump may only need a small percentage of new voters to prevail. But in the limited polling we have in the Super Tuesday races, he's in the low 30s or worse in most states. He's going to have to pick up some new voters to win those states, and he hasn't shown he can do it so far. I'm Jonathan Bernstein. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or View Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentary can be heard hourly weekdays. I'm Bloomberg Radio. Michael, uh, just a churn to the screen. Red, green, red, green, red, green, red. Yeah, oddly, um, futures turn a little bit south, but we see uh, oil prices turn a little bit south, too, which may be the reason behind it. Anyway. It's a good day to talk economics. Yeah. Good day to talk economics. A good person to talk economics with is Nariman Baravish, who is the chief economist at IHS. And Tom brings up a very good point, and you mentioned this when we started talking about durable goods, um, the idea that uh, we, we may be seeing – a flattening out of the decline uh, of the decline in spending on um, durables for energy production. Uh, has this surprised you that energy has been such a drag on the economy when everybody said uh, falling oil prices were going to be a big benefit? Well, what we've got here is a timing issue, Mike, um, in the sense that you know the pain came early and it was very intense. Uh, basically, capital spending uh, in the energy sector is about half what it was two years ago. It's a big plunge. Uh, it's only 2% of the economy, but nevertheless, when you get that kind of plunge, even in 2% of the economy, it drags down overall growth. Um, so it came early, came fast, it was painful. 
the benefits are, are much more spread out. Uh, the way I like to describe it is, okay, so because of lower gasoline prices, a typical U.S. household gets a tax cut, in quotes, of $1,000 a year. But you don't get it all at once. You get it in dribs and drabs. You get it every time you go to the gas station. $5 here, $10 there. What do you do with it? You, you buy snacks. You buy cigarettes if you smoke. And that's the way it's showing up. But it is showing up, and it's helping consumer spending, which is growing, we think, at a rate of around 3%, which is quite respectable. So, you know, everybody's sort of saying, well, you know, it's, it's more negative than positive. Yeah, it's early on, yes. But as things move on and as a negative start to abate, we'll start to see a lot of the positives show up. What should a policymaker do? If this were to be an issue Perfect on the question. campaign trail, what exactly. should, should just sit back and in, enjoy the benefits now? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think what, 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 what could we do at this point? There's, you know, it's, it's pretty, I mean, if you're going to do anything, you would have done it a year and a half ago. Uh, now it's, it's almost too late, but, but it's, it's, there's no need to do anything. Okay, there's no need to do anything, but, you know, that's the attitude I got at Davos, Nariman. I mean, you've wandered around the August halls of Davos. I'm sorry, it's one massive interest rate illusion of low nominal and low real rates. Within the, the micro study that you've done at IHS, is that artificial interest rate illusion affecting behavior and investment decisions in this nation? Uh- and, you know, Tom, undoubtedly it is. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to debate that one. I mean, we, we all agree that uh, these sustained low interest rates create, um, you know, lower risk, if you will, and, and, and increase, uh, you know, people making risky bets, and especially in terms of financial assets. So there's, there's a fair amount of that going on. And you could argue that some of the, the rise in the stock markets uh, until last summer had to do with that. So, you know, fair enough. But on the other hand, I'm not sure what choice, central bankers have they're the only game in town so it's like they 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 really can't do anything but keep pumping money into the economy in the hopes that things turn around good news is it's worked for the u.s partly because it's been coupled with serious banking fixes Uh, u.s banking systems in much better shape it hasn't worked in europe because their banks are still in trouble they haven't done what the u.s banks did so i think it's 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 important to kind of distinguish the u.s experience say from the european or even the japanese experience we are not i guess you would say in a liquidity trap then not in the u.s we're not we might be in europe we might be in japan but i don't see it in the u.s so uh, does the fed need to keep its foot on the pedal uh, at all at this point, or, or is it? Would it be better for the various reasons people cite for them to back off again? I think that the Fed is probably in, in a good position to begin to raise rates, but very, very, very gradually. I mean, let's say let's say they raise rates two more times this year, and for example, they will have gone from ultra loose monetary policy to extremely loose monetary policy. By the way, here I'm quoting Stan Fisher, vice chair of the Federal Reserve. Um, but, but the point is that monetary policy, even after these very modest increases, will still be pretty accommodative in the U.S. So I think it's appropriate. U.S. is doing fairly well. You know, we, we have the ability. We can afford to start raising rates. Europe, Japan can't. What's the impact of the Fed on the economy right now? 
Well, I would say it's very small. I mean, a quarter of a basis point. I mean, sort of a quarter. Uh, yeah, quarter. Uh, Twenty-five basis points. A quarter of a percent uh, increase in interest rates, which they put in place in December. Mm-hmm. Basically, zero impact. Uh, you know, let's say they do two more hikes. Okay, maybe just a slight tightening. But even there, that's it's the Fed's not going to get in the way of this recovery. Certainly not this year. I mean, I, I look, Nariman, at the complexities that you cover each day. Whittle down for our audience, not the pros and cons, gloom, optimism, but if we all understand the artificialities, the great distortions that we're living in, what is the simple message within all that complexity? Well, the simple message is that we have been through a very bad situation, a you know, certainly a financial crisis, what's referred to sometimes as a balance sheet recession, which is an asset bubble that bursts. And in, in, the, in the wake of that, um, we are struggling to, to come up with the appropriate policies. I think an appropriate policy mix. I think the U.S., again, has had slightly better success than most. We're growing faster than most. So I would say, you know, follow the example of the U.S. I mean, other countries don't like to hear it as much. But, but to me, it's not just monetary policy, but it's monetary mm-hmm. policy coupled with fixing the banks. And I think we went a long way forward. There's still issues in the banking system, but we went a long way forward in fixing our banks. Are we going to see the economy as it uh, continues to motor along this year get better in such a way that, the angry voters will notice it? Well, often there's a political lag. Uh, between, or there's a lag between political perceptions or popular perceptions and the economy. If you remember, that happened in 92 uh, to George H.W. Bush. The economy started to recover, but voters were very angry about the economy. I think the same thing is going to happen this time. Voters are very angry, and that anger is not going to go away, I would say, for another year or two. Nerman, thank you so much. Nerman Berevish with us. As we look at it, it just, it's a, a, I urge you, we, again, we protect the copyright of our guests, but I urge you to get your hands on AHS material. It is always more than interesting. Michael, I, I, I think the way they do it with three scenarios is interesting. I'm, I'm surprised it's, more people don't it do that. It looks very much like the Federal Reserve with the team yeah. book. Um, present, staff presents the Fed with, yeah. the Fed uh, officials with, Different scenarios, three different scenarios. Got a lovely note yesterday from someone in an email thanking us for trying to not be hysterical. We try to not say plunge or collapse. Surge I can sort of go with. But these big words, I mean, today it works because nothing's except for China stocks fits the mold. But we're, we're trying to bring in economics, finance, investment, international relations, some politics up to Super Tuesday uh, with um, – what we hope is a, a more measured conversation rather yeah, than the hysteria. We can give you a, a framework to think about it. That's what we're yeah. trying to do. So you can make your decisions. Uh, and, and looking at the data screen, uh, <clears throat> yen showing some weakness here two days in a row from a 111 handle up to 112.78. Uh, West Texas, 31.87 down 27 cents. Brent crude, 34. Gold down $5. 12.35 an ounce. A more measured hour, another hour of Bloomberg surveillance.